Hello, I'm Anna Walker, and you're listening to the Reader's Digest podcast, in which we navigate the woes and the wonders of modern life with leading experts on the tools that you need to survive and to thrive in a modern world. In today's show, Eva Makovic is in conversation with Julian Sawyer, the head of Europe at Gemini, discussing everything you need to know about cryptocurrency. Welcome to the show, Julian. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Um, So before we begin, um, just a quick disclaimer. I know absolutely nothing about cryptocurrency, so I'm sorry if I ask you silly questions. Um, But I feel like there's been so much loud and often conflicting talk about it in the media Um, that a lot of people kind of find themselves in the similar position and they have no clue what to make of it and what it really means. So it's really useful to have a chat with an expert like yourself to get a better understanding of what it is. And for today, there's no silly questions, so please just ask away and I'll see if I can can answer them for you. Okay, fantastic. I promise there will be loads. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's just maybe start with the very basics and you could tell us about um what crypto is yes sure i mean i think there's a lot of um hype and there's a lot of technical uh words that that is used here and i think what i'll try and do is try and make it as simple as as possible um the first the first word that's probably worth explaining is the word blockchain um and that is essentially the technology that is used for cryptocurrencies. So think of this as your iPhone, uh, it is the technology, and think of Bitcoin as the app on your iPhone, i.e. the application of that technology. So what is blockchain? Blockchain is a piece of technology which uh, is based on a series of blocks that are then chained together. And each block can be a transaction. So if we think of this in fairly simple terms, uh, you know, I do a transaction, I pay you £5. That usually is recorded in a bank ledger, a spreadsheet effectively at a bank. It's usually a little bit bigger than a spreadsheet, but it's the same thing. Um, And the bank would own the reference that I have given you £5. What, What we do with blockchain is we put that details of that transaction, that £5, into a block. And then we chain them together. And we use some really uh, complex technology called cryptographics or cryptography, which basically ensures that that data can never be changed and is linked with the previous data. So where did that £5, or how did I get to that £5 originally? And so what you have is a way of storing data, financial data, and and other data, but primarily financial data, that is distributed. Because I can see those blocks and that blockchain, and you can see that, and everybody else can see that. And so it is distributed rather than centralised. So if you think about what happens at at your bank, they have this ledger, this spreadsheet effectively, with all your money going in and out. And it's all centralized. And if we look at the, uh, I guess if you look at the uh, internet, that is a distributed set of computers that are, that are d- 
distributed all around the world that all talk to each other, which is how we get our emails and how we can uh, buy things on Amazon and everything else. And it is a distributed set of computers that all talk to each other. And so no one organization is in control. With blockchain, it's exactly the same, that these blocks are now shared across many, many computers. So there isn't one single owner, but it also means that it is uh, cryptographically, which is a, uh, a way of encoding the data so it cannot be changed and is verified once and is set as um, defined in a particular way. Um, which means that you have something which is uh, distributed, which is which therefore can be more efficient, like the internet is more efficient and a whole range of things. It is very cost effective. Um, and this technology, this blockchain technology, enables uh, various applications to, to sit on it. So going back to my example earlier with the iPhone. So the iPhone is the blockchain. It's a piece of technology which is really secure, um, very, very cheap to operate, incredibly efficient, and using all the um, security, the very best security out there. Now, what we then have is uh, cryptocurrencies, um, often shortened to crypto or called digital assets. You can call them whatever you would like, which is a use, a use of that technology. So if we look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin is uh, like the app on your iPhone. It sits on the technology and is a particular uh, use case or example of how we use uh, blockchain. And essentially, what this is, is a, uh, a currency um, that has a value, that value just like all other currencies, whether that is um, the pound or the euro or the dollar, uh, is uh, valued by supply and demand. So what is the conversion rate between pound and Bitcoin or US dollar and Bitcoin? And it enables a number of different uses in the world. And this is where it becomes really exciting. Um, and the three uses that I kind of call out a, a lot here is um, you may want to invest in it. It's an asset that over the last 10 years has appreciated in value. So you may want to invest in it. And there's certainly... Uh, a number of uh, investment gurus that would suggest that it should be part of your portfolio. Um, because it is an asset that move, the price moves, similar to oil or shares in Marks and Spencers or Tesco's or whatever, then you may want to trade in it. So you can trade with these products and buy and sell and, uh, and, and, and trade away as you would with any other asset. And the third area is in payments. And this goes back to some of the fundamental principles of blockchain, which is it is really fast, it is really, really secure, and is inherently across the internet. And the internet doesn't understand countries and borders and things like that. It is a global solution. Um, and therefore, we think that payments is a huge opportunity to revolutionize with this technology. 
I think this is a very timely podcast, to be honest, because what we're now seeing is the technology is now understood. We're now in the position which is where it gets interesting in terms of what can I now do with this technology? How can I help people? How can I help businesses do um, things that they want to do more efficient, quicker, and cheaper? Um, and that is a, um, a, I think that is where a, a number of people are super excited in terms of helping to solve real world problems with this technology. Um, so this is not technology for technology's sake. This is technology to solve real problems. Um, and I think if you understand the concept of the blockchain being the technology and a series of applications like Bitcoin or things like Ethereum and various other uh, currencies out there, you can then see that there will be different ways of using that technology for different use cases. Let me give you a very simple example. There is a... Uh, a web browser, so very similar to Chrome or Safari, called Brave. And Brave is trying to change how we, as consumers, get recognized and rewarded for our searches. At the moment, our searches typically would go through Google, and Google would make a lot of money because they sell our data to advertisers and publishers. So in the new world, shouldn't we be trying to see how we can balance that power out? It's my data, so why aren't I getting rewarded for that? And so there is a, uh, a cryptocurrency called the Basic Attention Token, the BAT, and that will reward you for looking at various websites. Now, that is really, really interesting because that is something that we all do, probably far too much now we're in lock, lockdown. Mm-hmm. And it's rewarding us for things that we're already doing it, but rewarding us in a very cost-effective way, which is just giving you some, some tokens, which you can then convert into uh, into GBP, if you wanted, into pounds or euros or dollars or into other uh, currencies. And these are the use cases. These are the examples where this technology and the application of this technology is... Uh, is really interesting, and I think we're at the beginning of this process. Mm-hmm. That sounds bizarrely dystopian, just being rewarded for um, sharing your sort of personal data. Um, that's it's good, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is, but it's a little bit yeah. scary. Is there anyone else doing anything like that at the moment? I think if you look at uh, the cryptocurrencies, I lose track of how many there are, but it's you know it's over two thousand different currencies, um, and there are an awful lot of people um, across the globe who are trying to um, find, invent, create, uh, solve um, with this technology. Mm-hmm. And so that is one example. That's one really nice, simple example of while I'm searching for something on the internet, why aren't I being rewarded if I'm going to give some of my data? And therefore, publishers and advertisers can say, well, you are val- you are valuable to me. I'm going to pay you to get more information about you, etc." There will be an awful lot of advantages uh, in, in looking and creating effectively, I think, this ecosystem where there are lots of really smart people thinking and solving real-world problems and finding ways of um, 
transferring value. If you think about what money is, it's transferring value from one person to another or one company to another. And I think we're at the beginning. Um, we There are certainly things that we're seeing which are super exciting in terms of these ideas. And we'll see more and more of these. And I think really what's interesting is that we shouldn't be going down this as a technology. We shouldn't have consumers wondering what a blockchain is or what blocks are, what cryptography is or what a distributed ledger is. And I know I've touched on a few of those. But what we should be talking about is I'm going to help you transfer money, transfer value from one person to another because you've done something uh, in terms of being rewarded or that you have uh, want to pay pay someone or tra- tra- transfer money. And I think what we're seeing is more and more people and organizations thinking about what could we do with this and how could we do this in a safe and secure way. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I keep thinking about as I'm listening to you um, is the security question, because you mentioned several times that it is quite secure. But I think a lot of people will have this impression that anything that's handled completely digitally um, and, you know, is very Internet based um, can be a little bit dodgy. Um, and there is a certain risk of, I don't know, people hacking into your account. How, how does that compare to uh, trading within traditional currencies and what makes it secure? I, I think it's a really good question. And I think really we, we need to look at this into two parts. Um, first of all, let's go back to the blockchain. So the blockchain is made is a chain of blocks. And using some incredibly complicated cryptographic technology, which ensures that block B belongs to block A and they are linked together. So when block C comes on board, it can be linked to block A and block B. And that is using technology which... um, I think you'd probably describe as rocket science because I don't understand it, so I'm finding it hard to, uh, you know, to to explain. But it is incredibly um, secure in terms of um, the complexity around this. So this isn't about having a four-digit PIN. This is, you know, 256 characters of both zero, both numbers and uh, um, characters, which are unique and are unbreakable through mathematics. So the first part of this is how are the blocks chained together? Okay, so if we accept, and I think the financial services industry has accepted that that is a technology that we should be using, and I'll talk about some of the uses of that in a, in a, in a moment, if I may. So the next challenge for um Uh, the industry is, so I have got this code, it's 256 characters, it doesn't mean anything, it's very, very long, I certainly can't remember it, what do I do with it? And certainly in the past, people have kept it at an exchange or put it on a piece of paper or something, and if you lose that, you have lost your right to to that digital currency, that asset. And so what you're seeing now is exchanges like Gemini that are coming into the market, providing a, I mean, how I would describe this is military-grade 
uh, security. And if you think about a, um, you know, a bank safe, which is where we used to put our, our gold or and, and our, mm-hmm. our assets, you know, we know what that looks like. In the digital world, it looks very, very similar in terms of it is in a highly secure location or locations. Um, it is not some of our assets are not actually connected onto the internet, so you can't be hacked, etc. And so I think what you're seeing is a, is a greater maturity in terms of how do we ensure your money is safe and secure. And, you know, as in the old days when banks got um, robbed, that has happened in the past, that isn't happening with the next generation of exchanges. So I think, I think overall what we're seeing is two things. One is the technology is absolutely rock solid from a security perspective and then it's it is kind of so what does the consumer what does the user do with that and making sure that it is secure and 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 safe and stored in the right place and that that those services are now available to provide that and i think we as as an industry overall have to talk more about what you should do with that and it's exactly the same as um banks have done in the last probably 100 years or so, which is don't keep your money under the mattress. Um, People used to do that. Why? Because they didn't trust banks. And then you realize, actually, the risk is your house burns down, it gets robbed, etc. You have a problem. Um, And so it is natural that the industry matures. It's natural that the controls are put in place and the uh, assurance is there that this is what you do with, with this. And I've used the word digital asset a couple couple of times, and I think that is really uh, an, an important word. I mean, I think it's interchangeable with cryptocurrency and crypto. Um, I'm sure some some uh, of my colleagues may sort of tell me that there's a technical difference, but in my in my mind, it's one and the same. But digital asset is a really really nice word. It's digital. We all know what that means, and it's an asset. That's something that we we look after and we protect, and that's exactly the same as as money. That we have a lot of um, uh, support structures, often called banks or credit card companies and things like that, that are providing us with reassurance that we can spend our money through Visa and Mastercard, we can pay bank to bank, or we can hold notes and, and get money from an ATM. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that that is where this is, uh, you know, heading in terms of that maturity of the market to be able to say, this is an asset, you look after your assets, you lock them away. Where do you lock them away? Yes, it's in a slightly different product or service, but fundamentally you're doing that. And can I go back um, to different um, blockchains available? Because I think most people have heard of uh, Bitcoin years ago and they've never really heard of any other ones. And you mentioned earlier that there are thousands and thousands of these. So um, what sort of what are the differences between them? So the two big ones are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, there are some different um, technologies uh, underneath them. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example of, 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 of a couple that will just show the diversity of this. Um, there are also different ones that have different use cases. So let me give you two very simple examples. We talked about the BAT token, the basic attention token. Now, if I'm on a web website and I'm searching and an advertiser wants to push me something, how much are they really going to pay me? And it's probably in a penny, 
or probably even fractions of a penny. And so you want to have a token that would be able to do very, very small micropayments in a very cost-effective way. Um, if I was wanting to move money for BP or Shell, I'm probably talking millions, if not hundreds of millions of money, of pounds or dollars that I'm moving a day. And therefore, having something uh, like a back token wouldn't be appropriate. So there are different uses for these tokens, and therefore they have different behaviors. Let me, let, let, let me just give you one more example. Um, there is a, a, a set of cryptocurrencies called stablecoins. And a stablecoin is a digital currency that is stable, which is attached to, aligned with, equal to, all the same, with another asset. Okay. Now, it could be gold. It could be the US dollar. And so Gemini has a, uh, a stablecoin called the Gemini dollar. Uh, and you can buy a Gemini dollar and you buy it with a US, one US dollar. And it's always pegged one to one. Now, that means you haven't got the price fluctuations that you have with Bitcoin. So it's not an investment tool. It's a payments tool that enables you to uh, move money between exchanges. It enables you to uh, make cross-border payments in dollars, etc. So the way that the Gemini dollar is built and constructed and the technology that's underneath that or the application of that technology clearly is very different than Bitcoin, which is much more of a supply and demand price point. Okay, so as more people invest, the price will go up. As less people invest and there's more sellers, the price will go down. And so what you have is... Um, a whole range of different uses for this um, technology. And the way then the cryptocurrency or the coin is being created um, reflects that use case. And so that could be because they need to go into micropayments. It could be that they, that they need to stable uh, around a stable coin around the US dollar or the pound or the euro or an asset like oil or gold. Um, it could be that they want to have a trading platform. It could be that they want to do cross-border payments and, and foreign exchange. And so what I think you're seeing is a maturity in um, the technology. And now the applications of that technology is now coming. And as with a lot of these things, uh, a lot of the smaller ones will not get traction and will not um, uh, change the world. And as with any technology, a few will absolutely dominate the space. And at the moment, um, Bitcoin and um, dominates it, and you know, quite a way second down that is uh, Ether or Ethereum. Um, and I think for us, this is about ensuring that the industry as a whole can see the opportunity, and that the uh, applications of this are are implemented in a consumer friendly way um, and so when we talk about browsing um, the internet that becomes really interesting very exciting and when people get uh, a back token they won't be going oh I've got a cryptocurrency on a distributed ledger with blockchain 
They shouldn't know anything about that. They should know, oh, I've just been rewarded. Now what can I do with that? Mm-hmm. And we get rewarded a whole range of things like loyalty points and things like that. So there's a whole range of different uh, uses out there for us. Sure. So let's say someone's a novice like me and they want to they wanna try their hand at uh, delving into cryptocurrency. Where do they start? How do they begin? Well, essentially, you need to um, go to um, an exchange um, and you will then um, go through an onboarding process. So very similar to how you'd open a, a bank account. So you'd have to give your personal information and a copy of your passport, etc. Um, and that would enable you to then buy um, uh, your crypto. Now, I, I think that there's a couple of things here. Um, you know, I kind of said then, oh, you need you need to give your personal information and your passport, etc. That is because uh, these businesses are regulated entities that we have our responsibility to ensure the money is come from who it says it's come from and the right controls are in place. So we are being marked and assessed at the same level as a bank. So that's really important to try and give some reassurance about um, the, the, the processes. <clears throat> now, the next the, the next thing is then, um, you know, Bitcoin is $7,000 or some, something like that today. Um, that doesn't mean you need to go out and buy a Bitcoin and you need 7000 you can buy at £10 and you can buy a fraction of a, of a, of a Bitcoin. Um, and that becomes um, very, very simple. Um, there's an awful lot of people who go, look, I'm going to put in 10 or £50 in and, and look and see and learn. Okay. Now, they may be doing that because they want to you know, invest or they want to trade. And certainly if you're trading, then you want to put some money in, buy and sell and just see how you, you understand the market. But essentially, what you need to do is go to an exchange and uh, you know uh, sign up, and then and, and then and then you have access to that. Hmm. Um, so, are there any risks involved at all? Are there any drawbacks to cryptocurrency? The risks are probably around what are you going to use that for. So, if I go back to the three examples. Uh, clearly, if you are trading, there is the same risk as if you're trading with stocks and shares or oil or wheat or whatever, that the price can go down as well as up. Um, there's no reason why it would, it would happen in any different way, but th- that, it, that is always a risk. If you're looking at an investment, then, you know, I, I think uh, all the leading uh, investment advisors would say you wouldn't put all of your savings in one asset class or one stock or one share. So again, you need to be using the same principles as you would on a day-to-day basis with what you're trading and what you're investing. And then in terms of of payment, I think it's less about the risk and more about the opportunities that that gives you. Um, And hopefully the, you know, the increased cost savings uh, and a a, a faster service. So yes, if you, um, going back to my bank example, if you go to a bank that doesn't have a safe, then your money is at a higher risk than if it was. Absolutely. But I think today's, consumer understands a lot a lot of these and if they go to an exchange which is reputable that is regulated in um you know the uk or the us or in europe um and they have got the right um 
controls in place, you know, they're asking the right questions in terms of who are you, what is your date of birth, uh, we need to validate that you are the person you say you are, um, then you are, are, are operating at the same risk as any other asset out there in terms of stocks or shares or, 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 or payments. And just as a sort of final thought in this, how do you predict the future of trading to look like? Do you think it's going to be completely dominated by blockchain technology? I think the technology is absolutely going to take over um, financial services in terms of how uh, traditional banks, incumbents, etc., are doing things and making uh, payments and transferring value. I think if you look at... Um, uh, payments and you look at um, an investment or an asset class to invest in, then I think you're seeing that this is going to be an additional part. So I see this as, you know, if you think of this as a pie chart, um, probably the the segment is very, very small at the moment. That will get significantly bigger, but is not going to replace some of the other asset classes that are out there. And I think that becomes... Um, interesting. I think if, you, if you're looking at where the predictions are, I think it is wider acceptance uh, with uh, institutions, financial services institutions, with the regulators, with consumers, and with companies that this is a uh, some technology, this is a service, this is a capability that is uh, the future of money. Um, and I'm using it because it is safe, secure, and quicker, better, or whatever. And I think that is um, super exciting. I think the other piece is uh, in two or three years' time, it won't be this mythical, magical uh, topic that we're talking like today. It will be, yep, that's how we do things. And it, it is going to become the norm, and that norm is going to come really, really quickly. And we're seeing that already in terms of the types of conversations that Gemini is having with a lot of organizations, which is, yeah, we should be doing this. We should absolutely be doing this. How can you help us? How, how, how do you engage with this? And so I think as your, um, your listeners will be sitting there and going, yeah, I've heard of this, and, and they'll be hearing more and more, not just from the same people, but from different people and different uh, points of reference that I think is um, is important that they understand and they take this uh, this new technology in a, in, in a slow but informed way. And I think the more that we as an industry can talk about this and show how uh, it can transform things, then that's really interesting for us. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for the enlightening chat, Julian. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Julian Sawyer is the Managing Director of the UK and Europe at Gemini. You can learn more about what they do on their website, Gemini.com. Please rate and review our podcast if you enjoy what we do. And let us know about your take on cryptocurrency on Facebook or tweet at us at Reader's Digest UK. For more stories on money, health and culture, subscribe to our newsletter at readersdigest.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and until next time.